This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, December 16th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Christopher Hitchens, one of the world's most celebrated contemporary writers, pundits, and social critics, has died. He was 62. In 2004, Christopher Hitchens displayed his wit at the Cato Institute City Seminar on the topic of New York's draconian smoking bans. When I worked in London at the old um, New Statesman magazine, which I did for many years, we used to have weekend competitions, various kinds of spoofs and fantasies. One was, I remember, um, to do a mock paragraph of the introduction of a Graham Greene novel. Um, Graham Greene entered under a pseudonym, came third. But a regular favorite was this. It was advice to American tourists on their first visit to London. And the winners that I remember best were, try the famous Echo in the British Museum reading room. Always, if you enter the subway carriage, remember to shake hands with everybody before sitting down. (laughs) And if you see someone doing the Times crossword, it's always very much appreciated if you offer your help to them. (laughs) And prostitutes may easily be recognized by the habit of rattling tins full of coins to attract custom. And brothels by blue lamp. You might not get that bit particularly. That's how to recognize a police station in England. Anyway... You say, when you go in, they may pretend not to know what you're talking about, but that's just their British reserve. If you persist, um, they will. So anyway, I remember thinking, once I moved to New York, I remember thinking, you couldn't do that competition here. What would you have to do in New York to draw attention to yourself in that way? What would make people say, he's trying to make himself conspicuous or herself? It doesn't seem to me it could be done. And I thought that was one of the charms of the place. Indeed, it was one of the things that made me want to come to these United States and to this great city, which is why it grieves me so much that this same place is now, it seems, under the... This is the worst bit of it, the benign hand of a baby authoritarian who knows what's good for you. Those, as you know, are the worst kinds of tyranny, the most creepy kinds are the ones that are done for your own sake. The parental ones, if you will, the in loco parentis ones, the nanny state, as it's sometimes called. You could not now hang out a shingle saying McGinty's Shamrock Lounge, as it might be, if you don't like cigarette smoke, stay out of this bar. If you can't do that in New York, then I think something quite major has been lost. I think it's quite important, if you don't think this is a pompous way of phrasing it, cultural matter. It's the imposition of uniformity. It's the suggestion that one size must fit all. And this in the United States of America, and this in New York City, this also in California, when the complete ban on smoking in all public places was enacted. There I called up the judge who'd written the legislation. I had quite a long chat with him, and I said, well, I have just discovered that where I stay in California, in Palo Alto, where there's a very nice bar called the British Bankers Club, they're not going to be able to turn themselves into a club for the evening and charge buck for admission uh, for people who want to have a cigarette. You won't be able to have a private club. You won't even be able to have a smoke-easy, if you will, in California. He said, no, that's right. I said, well, how can you possibly justify this? And he said, well, it's to protect the staff. It's a labor protection legislation. We don't want someone who doesn't want to smoke, doesn't like it, having to work in a smoky barn. I said, you don't think that if there were bars that allowed it and bars that forbade it, that sooner or later people would apply for the jobs, it would sort of shake out. No, we, couldn't, we could not make that assumption. So it could be that there was a man or a woman 
was applying for a job as a barman, and it was the only job available to them. And that job was in a bar that allowed smoking. That could not happen. We have to postulate the existence, if you will, of, of a non-existent person in a non-existent dilemma. The person who does not exist, the person who can only find one job, and that job is as barkeep in a smoking bar <laughs> in California. This person must be held to exist, though he or she is notional. But everyone who actually does exist must act as if this person is real. <laughs> You're with me, I'm glad. It's a, a sharp audience. Well, what, what did I expect? So, is there not something mildly sinister about this imposition of enforced conformity? I believe that there is. What can I tell you? I write better when I have a cigarette and a drink. Um, I'm more fun to be with, actually. Other people seem less boring. Um, the life of Bohemia, of the small cafe and the little bar that never quite closes, is essential to cultural production. It may seem like a small thing. It doesn't add very much to the GNP, but if you take it away, you may not know what you've lost till it's too late. And there used to be areas like the West Village or, or North Beach in, in California, our little Latin quarters, if you will, that are now dull and boring and which have to be policed. And I think that's a terrible loss. Let me give you another example of one size fits all. I was, in a, I was doing a red state tour recently, and I went to, was on my way to Kentucky, which is my favorite red state because its economy, rather like Cuba, is entirely vice-based. Um, with Cuba, it's cigars and rum and sugar, and with Kentucky, it's horse racing and bourbon and tobacco, small tobacco. Notice it always has to be big. You think they would leave me alone if I rolled my own and grew my own? Of course they wouldn't. Of course they wouldn't. But they're using the big word in order to justify big government. It's very easy to see how the trick is pulled. Anyway, I have to change planes at Cincinnati Airport, go into a bar which allows me to smoke. I order a drink. The barman says, that'll be fine. I need to see some ID. I say, that's incredibly sweet of you. <laughs> But I'm not going to do that. I don't have to show you anything to buy a drink here. He said, oh, yes, you do. No ID, no drink. I said, are we serious? Yes. So I can be rude when I have to be, and stubborn as well, and I was. And finally, he said, okay, okay, I'll have to tell you what happened. He said, it's now a rule in all the bars in our chain. I said, well, what happened? He said, a 70-year-old gentleman sued us because we had not asked for his card. And I said... Am I going to guess that he sued for age discrimination? The guy says, that's what he sued for. He said he'd seen someone who was 19 being carded in the bar, but he wasn't asked for his card, and this was quite clearly a reflection on his advanced state of decrepitude. <laughs> As indeed was his lawsuit, which won, which passed, which meant that a barman has to humorlessly ask people like myself, who I like to think are his lifeblood, to act like spoiled or errant children. It destroys one of the most important relationships in our culture, that between barman and drinker. <laughs> Again, you may think it's trivial. I think I submit that it is not. That's writer Christopher Hitchens at a Cato Institute City Seminar in 2004. He died December 15, 2011, at the age of 62. You can read Hitchens' full talk at our website, cato.org.